What's up, BSers? This is Jim Fitzpatrick, and I'm not really sure what episode number or date this is going to be anymore, but it's sure to be a good time. Take it away, Brett and Sean. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm your host, one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Damn, Sean, you did. You do plan to just kick me to the curb. I'm your host. Just right there. Right there. I saw right, it. I was right there. I saw it happen. I Man. jinxed myself. You did jinx yourself. That's all right. That's okay. How the hell you been, man? I'm doing all right, man. How are you? Not bad. Any good gaming in since we talked last year? Yeah, man. Forbidden Lands strikes again. So are you running or did you pass the uh, reins off to Harrigan and you're playing now? I am playing. So Harrigan's finding out how difficult you are? He is. Yes. Uh, yeah. Of course. I've been there, Harrigan. That's all I can say. And uh, yeah, there's probably singing some weird, um, inconsistent um, accents. Yeah, it's it's difficult, but you'll get through it, Harrigan. It's, 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 it's okay. It's okay. And I'm here for you. If you need a phone call, just let me know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, how's, uh, uh, how's, how's the game going? <laughs> it's, uh, you know, introductory to therapy, I think. I think so, yeah. For, for the most part. It's actually a test. If you can oh. handle me as a player, I think you can handle anyone. That's true. This, this is a fair point. Or Are you liking the game, though? Having fun with it? Yeah, it's fantastic. Good. I like Forbidden Lands. I and even that. as a player. Even as a player. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. You know. Wait until we get to the bitter reach when it's ass cold. <laughs> ass cold. That's a level of cold, people. That's that's bad. It is. We use it in in Wisconsin quite often. We do. We do indeed. How are you, Brett? What's going on in the Brett world? Uh, let's see here. Um, last time, what the hell did I do last week? Oh, tomorrow. Last week was a Warhammer uh, Fourth Edition Fantasy RPG Day. We didn't. We my buddy Lenny couldn't make it. Got sick to my game and alpha's game was at a spot where he's like hey if i run mine it out lenny wanted as much to keep blah 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 so anyway we negotiated and he he ran a lot of fun my dwarven slayers kicking some serious ass well i've got think i have the system down now where it feels more natural it was really clunky i talked about this on uh, discord a while back where it was just the cognitive load for me was like what what am i doing why am i doing this and I think we're past that, or at least I'm past that. Other people, of course, are faster at math than I am, so they got through it quicker, but it took me a bit. But I seem to be grokking it now. And uh, I didn't make any horrible, stupid addition mistakes this last time. <laughs> that was good. Bonus, man. That was pretty good. Tomorrow I have my uh, Wastelands Pathfinder game with the guys. So that should be pretty good. And then Wednesday, I have on um, playing D&D with my kids. There were second session of that one, so that should be good. D's and D's. Yeah. What happened? To, what happened to Vason? Oh, wrap that up. They had a blast with that. I see. So, Loved what are you it. running for D's and D's? They, um, I gave the kids. I said, "What do you want to do?" They said, "I want uh, you to make up a world, and we want to use any these character types." Like, I right, sure, whatever. We'll make up something. So we're world building on top of story building and everything else. But it's I fun so and the kids like alana is playing a goliath druid aj is um what is he's got two characters one is an elven excuse me a dwarven paladin and the other is a gnome thief 
and they were kind of expecting like the usual go to the dungeon, do the thing. <clears throat> and then suddenly it was like assassins and how come the Goliath is supposed to know? Excuse me, not Goliath. She's a furbolg. My bad. She's a furbolg. Um, why doesn't the, fur, the furbolg is supposed to know this thing? How come she doesn't? And back and forth. So there's some mistaken identity, assassins, as I said, weird artifacts, the stones of the Titans and other things that they haven't figured out yet. So they're actually really eager to, to get back to it. So, which is a good sign. It is a good sign. One of your players are like, so uh, when are we playing again? That's that's good to hear. Even when they're your kids, it's still good to hear. It's <laughs> very good to hear. Other than that, man, I haven't had a lot of um, made some good progress. Um, Chris needs that kind of been back and forth on Avalon stuff, and I've made some good progress on some of the new things I wanted to work on there. Some 5e backgrounds. Chris has been crunching away on some different pieces and parts there as well. Classes, class work we've wanted to do. So that's going really well. That's a lot of fun. Um, I think that's about it for now. Nothing else I can think of offhand. You good, man? Anything else? I did play in this one game, fifth edition, Streets of uh, Arvalon or something, I think it was. Oh, that's right. Yeah. With, that, uh, oh, shit. That was since we last talked, wasn't it? It was, man. Oh, my God. I thought that. Wow, I I need a calendar. Apparently, God damn, yeah, that was uh, I ran that for you, Stefan, Dragon Spawn, and Craig. Yeah, from a third floor wars. Man, I thought that was over. Wow, I thought that was pre last show. Good God, man, I need this is yeah, I need a need a break and a calendar. Apparently, that was actually a lot. It of was fun, so too. memorable, first... so memorable, Brad. God, I'm such a douche. <laughs> um, <laughs> nobody likes me anymore. This is what this is why. No, this I'm, I'm actually being drummed off the show. That's what's come happening. on, man. Um. No, it was, um, the cool thing was Craig and Sean had both played with me before and played with me in the Avalon setting before. Stefan hadn't done either. And it, I thought it was really cool because it felt to me like both you and Craig had a faster grip on certain pieces. Like, hey, this is how this kind of works in the setting and so on and so forth. Even with the system stuff. Yeah. It, it felt like. Um, but especially the setting. And it felt like everybody made sure there was only three players, but everybody was more than happy to pass the spotlight around. You know, when it was Craig could have easily done X. He's like, you know what? I think this would be better suited for Sean's character or for Stefan's character. Or instead of the players, do, you know, they were, I think the three of you guys really did a wonderful job doing that. No yeah, ball that hogs. Was really cool. No, no ball. ball hogs. Not at all. Sports ball reference. You're welcome. Sports ball reference. Yeah. You're welcome, yeah. the Essers. Yeah, no ball. No look, no look behind the back passes a few times too. It was good stuff. Very good. It was short, uh, violent, um, but it was uh, had all sorts of goodness to it. So it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was fun. Always fun. I cannot think of anything always else. fun to play with one of my favorite game masters. Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I see yeah. you talking about Craig. Um, so that's nice, sir. <laughs> Come on, man! I know, I know. I'm not that cruel, crass. So did I? So did I? Uh, did I run any other cool games that I'm forgetting that I ran since we talked last? Not that I'm God. aware of. Oh, good, good grief! Can't believe that. Yeah, I think that's about it then. Oh, announcements! Want to thank uh, Carl Claire, Carl Claire, one word for the kind review that showed up. I think that was done in like April. Although when I say it was done in April, this is being recorded May 9th. So it's not, <laughs> April wasn't that far long ago. I lost That's track true. of time, Brett. 
you know, this retirement thing. Is well, like, between you, between you losing track of that and me not remembering what games I ran and what day I ran them, for God's sakes. Yeah. It's a good thing we're getting out while the getting's good. Otherwise, it will just fall apart. Yeah. So, Sean, you've been talking to me about kind of like what's what's the world like after a gaming BS sunset. So, uh, what have you, what are you cooking up something crazy? I what think I got a plan, man. Mm hmm. I've got a plan. Yeah. I mentioned it briefly Saturday's stream. So, if, for those of you that don't catch it, Saturday mornings I stream online on YouTube, just talk about gaming stuff whatever news and stuff comes up and, you know, typically spurred on by the chat, which helps immensely. And, uh, so I have, uh, I have a podcast that I want to get off the ground. And I've mentioned this to Brett and Brett, Brett, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. He might be on it. If, like not permanently necessarily, but. Well, the idea that you're talking about is, you know, <clears throat> kind of sourcing from different folks and so forth. And I think it's, uh, I think it's a really cool idea. Do you want to go into details or do you not want to do that? Uh, no, yet? I can mention it. It's G it's GM mastermind. That's the title of it. So it's kind of a game master mastermind. It's a little wordy master, master, mastermind. <laughs> game, it's like astonishing swordsman and sorcerers of hyperborea. <laughs> so thanks, Jeff Talanian. Um, gmmastermind.com I have episode zero done it's not in and available through Apple Podcasts yet but the premise is this I want to get game masters on the show either through email voicemail you know a forum or discord post maybe even on the show at the same at the same time two to three people besides myself that would be called the mind, if you will. So if you're not familiar with what a mastermind is, the concept is that you get more brains are better than one. So they can come up with different solutions faster. They could they've all come from different backgrounds and experiences. So they can lend that to the discussion, whatever the topic is. And I'm also looking for folks to suggest topics. And, and what they've either run into as a player, a game master, maybe what's frustrating them, and then, you know, getting a roster of people that belong to the mind to be able to, to weigh in on that stuff. So that's the goal. Um, episode zero is on the website, and it'll eventually make its way to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to it. And I, I've asked Brett if he would be a part of the mind. And if you are interested, you can go to gmmastermind.com forward slash the mind. Or if you want to do show topic, just go to gmmastermind.com forward slash show topic. Um, and all, you, all that is, is then you're letting me know you're interested, which I also ask about your availability in case you want to be on the show, or maybe you just say, no, I don't want to be on the show, but I'm willing to weigh in then i will make a roster and then when episodes come around i will hit you up and say hey could you be available or hey can you weigh in on this particular topic we're going to talk about it in this one episode well, so that's, 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 that that's what really i'm dreaming cool. well the reason i thought that was a cool idea sean when you brought, brought up to me was that so if somebody wants to say hey i'm running forbidden lands x y and z have come up struggling with or whatever 
advice, right? Somebody's looking for help or have an idea or a question about a specific system or setting. I would be like, I'm out. I, I, I don't, you know, I barely scratch the surface of the books. I'm not the guy to answer that question. Where you, Harrigan, Phil Vecchione, Eileen, somebody else who's playing, and I don't know if Eileen's playing, but you know, any anybody who's in that says, ooh, 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 you know. I like it because I think it's almost a um I think it's taking some of the really cool stuff that we've had through gaming BS from our uh, listener feedback and making and making that a little bit more star of the show. I think that's a good idea, man. Because there's then like if somebody were to say, Hey, I have I'm running, you know, Bookhounds of London, gumshoe game. And, you know, hey, Brett knows gumshoe. This person knows gumshoe. And so this other person, and she knows it too. All right. Who's available? Who's got some ideas about this problem? Punt them in there. I think that's pretty cool. We can sourcing not only from game system, but setting and genre co- concepts and all of those things. So, like, it's neat, yeah. man. It doesn't have to be game specific, like Brett mentioned. It can be about anything. And I can get other people to weigh in. So if somebody's like got a problem with forbidden lands and they're not try- they're they're having a struggle with a particular component of that, that's fine. It doesn't have to be somebody that has forbidden lands game mastering experience or rules and mechanics experience because somebody else that doesn't could come in with a fresh perspective that maybe they've played other games and said, "Oh, well, let me tell you how in other games, you know, is this even possible?" So it's a collective discussion about whatever the topic is and it it doesn't ha- yes it might behoove us to have a person or two that knows a little bit about forbidden lands but it doesn't it that shouldn't Have exclude no. you right no yeah. i got it no that totally makes sense yes you can uh, yeah fair enough and i like it by volunteering to be part of the mind you're just uh, again <clears throat> you're just becoming a pool I think I'm going to call the people that are invited onto the show or to talk about it the brain trust. Um, just be that'll kind of separate the two the two things, right? Like there you go. I'm tr- I want you to be part of the brain trust for this episode where we're going to talk about this topic. You interested? And that way, I can get all kinds of people. I can get you know podcasters. I can get game masters. I can get streamers. I can get people that just run games all the time. I can get people that do maybe organized play. You know, and and they can all weigh in on these different things. So the the cat the cast or the hosts will change, uh, ideally, and uh, it'll be hurting a little bit of the cats. But I think if I've got a big enough pool, I should it should be relatively easy getting folks on the show to talk about their favorite hobby. Shouldn't be too hard. Awesome, man. Brett, like the idea. Brett might be on the inaugural episode. I don't know. I want to. I don't want to commit. I'm still talking to his agent. Uh, and he's talking about availability and, and, and all this, and he's got, you know, his, what do they I call got my it? riders. I got the, the riders. riders, you know, yeah, I got the riders and, uh, we're, we're, we'll see if we can work something out. Yeah. Awesome. He's renego- renegotiating <clears throat> contracts. Like it's all, it's just, yes. you know, yeah. It's yeah. Well, I mean that, I, you know what? I think if we go any further, we're about to get the lawyers in the room. So let's just right. let it go. That's true. Fair, fair. We should, yeah. Move on. Right. Yeah. Let's move on. Shall right. we random encounter? We should go to random encounter. Oh my God. All right. Random encounter. Segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, comments from social media. We've got two this week. All right. I'll start. You're you, going to start. You always, I'll let you go. I should. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. 
Uh, Matt uh, comments on the last episode on Duet Gaming. Uh, thank you for 380 plus episodes, guys. I've really enjoyed the, all the banter topics over the years since Misdirected Mark sent me over this way to listen. You've been one of my two regular every week podcast features. I was somewhat afraid when you made the announcement earlier, switching to every two weeks. It was one of the sun. It, this one, yeah, uh, it was the one sunsetting the show. The timing coincided with my other main podcast going on full hiatus for a major health issue for the showrunner. They're getting back on over the next few months, so big thank you for keeping my podcast input levels up. On the topic of duets, this has been my biggest disconnect between RPGs that claim to emulate or be faithful to sword and sorcery, what I'm looking to experience to match my expectation. And so much of SNS fiction is often one hero or heroine out adventuring in or against the world. And when it isn't a single hero, it's a hero plus companion with widely different skill sets or powers not the same quote-unquote level as many parties are. So the classic party-based RPGs don't ever really feel like an SNS adventures or stories to me. Perhaps this is part of why D&D was so associated with Lord of the Rings and public imagination. They start uh, The start of that story is much more like the party structure presented in many RPGs. Looking for two or three-player swords and sorcery RPG or possibly a solo one to get that exceptional hero uh, or hero with a companion feel of SNS. I suspect you or the BSers will have a suggestion in that vein for me to track down. Thanks again for uh, for the great content. Looking forward to the last episodes. You know that's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up, Matt. Because I'm, you're right. It's a lot like um, like we mentioned, it's Call of Cthulhu, right? And most of Lovecraft stories, it's one person. That's it. Maybe a cast of hangers on, but it's one person telling the story or whatever the case is. There's a few exceptions. And the very rarely is there a group. The only one I can think of off the top of my head is the Dunwich Horror, where there are actually Professor Armitage, Rice, and um, shit, losing the third guy. But there are three people who are actively taking care of the problem. They found stuff, researched it, and they're going to Morgan, Morgan Rice. There we go. Morgan, Professor Morgan, Professor Rice, Professor Armitage. Anyway, there we go. Those three are actively going out to solve the problem. In most cases, it's like one person, you know, Pikmin's model. One person talking about this weird-ass thing with Pikmin. Um, or whatever, or the thing in the doorstep. Blah, blah, blah. You name it. And you're right. In a lot of the old-school sword and sorcery stuff, um, if you think Conan, it's Conan. Perhaps he has a hanger-on or somebody else involved or whatever it is. Now, there are some... I would think that if you wanted to have a two or three player type, then I would look at things like Fought from the Gray Mauser and start leveraging those components more um, and uh, saying, okay, how do I do, excuse me, do, do that type of, that type of sword and sorcery type of thing. But yeah, there's, um, the other thing that's difficult, we talked about this a little bit, I think at some point over the last seven and a half years is the, um, the need or desire or how bad is it to be different levels and different power levels and so forth? And depending what you want to do from a gaming perspective, if you go Osric, you know, it's a first edition AD&D type of game, but the experience point charts are still different, right? When I run first edition AD&D Greyhawk, as I did, I'm going to do again for my group at some point, I use the experience points tracks, right? Thieves level faster, fighters level faster, wizards level slower, clerics are kind of in between. There's different leveling progression. And the crew is fine with that. They're like, yep, that's just how it works. Got to keep adventuring, got to keep digging, got to keep going and so forth. That might be an answer to you insofar as that different experience point tracks. I know in the um, 
in Pathfinder, there's different experience point tracks in the way where they have, it's like their progression level is either slow, normal, or fast. Might be able to leverage something along those lines. But uh, yeah, I th- um, the other thing I would think, Matt, is that getting into a serious sword and sorcery type of game, whatever the mechanic of choices, whatever the core rule would be, I think it's going to be important to have people who understand exactly what you mean. Right, because when I say sword and sorcery, I think Conan fought from the Gray Mauser, and um, <clears throat> even Elric and Malibane, Um, Some people would put in there, and some people would tell me, "No, it's not," because of X, Y, or Z. And because of that, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Back and forth, it would be really. I think the uh, your session zero, really making sure people understand what it is that you want to accomplish and how you want to emulate it, so that they can show up and help you maintain that tone, because that's a son of a bitch, <laughs> as we've talked about before. You know, when you get going. And you're like, hey, we're going to play this very strict, hardcore, hard-boiled, noir detective story. And then somehow along the way, it turned into Toon, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. What the fuck happened there? And it's a tone thing. And I think if you do if you do it, have a really solid session zero, as solid as you can. And don't be afraid, in my opinion, you and or the players acknowledge the fact that we may have to call each other out periodically and say, hey, let's stay on, let's stay on tone. Keep the tone. Keep the tone. I learned this phrase the, from one of my favorite LARPing groups, the uh, Last Hope LARP. I've met met those folks from running Evercon and a few other places. If you've ever been to GameholeCon, they're there quite often. Um, they have a phrase that they use in LARPs. If you start to break the genre and the world, they say decorum. They say that, and everybody goes, oh, yeah, sorry, that's the reminder. It's just a single word, decorum. Oh, yeah, get back, stop talking about Mountain Dew or whatever. <laughs> I know the weird thing I was arguing about was decorum decorum oh yeah yeah sorry sorry let's get back to where we ought to be so i think that is uh that's a handy thing and it might be worthwhile for some of us to pull that type of thing into games like the sword and sorcery thing matt's talking about just to uh help each other maintain and reinforce as you go but anyway matt kind of a bunch of vomit for me there man i hope that was helpful um sean do you this is a quick aside from a sword and sorcery's perspective is that a thing that you like, like if I ever say, Hey, it's going to be that Conan style game or something in that in the early genre of the fiction, is that something you're interested in or do you, or is that not your style? Uh, I don't know, honestly, cause I don't think I've been, I don't think I'm a fan of sword and sorcery. Like some people are fans of sword and sorcery. So for, you know, for me, I'm sure I'm going to get hate mail for it. (laughs) Some would say like, for me, it's, you know, fantasy is fantasy, but people be like, no, 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 it's not. No, no, man. It's not the same, dude. It's not. No. Hey, earth breaks. Um, so I, I would probably have to brush up on my swords and sorcery inspirations. Like, you know, whether that's crawl or Beastmaster or, John Carter or Mars or whatever that looks like it or Elric or something in that space, Conan that would mm-hmm. get me into that headspace versus Tolkien. Yeah. I would say, honestly, if you, if you feel like it, if you go back to our buddies, Jeff and Hoy over at appendix N yeah, appendix N book club, if you go back to their catalog, their 118, 120 yes. some episodes. And I think at this point, those guys do a really good job covering a lot of the appendix end stuff, which is 
all the old school stuff that Gary Gygax listed. <coughs> and they're stretching it to mean different things in different areas. But a lot of that stuff is the old school sword and sorcery. So I think that would be a good place to go to. And honestly, Sean, that could be a topic for a hopper for your um, mastermind concept here is that genre, how to, who plays that genre, a system that works it really well or whatever, because that could be, that's, that could easily be a show. And that's a show that having a discussion with different people who understand it and have played and worked in that, that could be pretty cool. Ray Otis did a talk at BSRCon on sword and sorcery and some of the concepts he laid out made sense to me. I'm just not a devourer of fantasy sword and sorcery books. Like I just, I don't know why it's been a long time and I just haven't gotten into appendix N like those guys like Hoy and Jeff. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I haven't read a book book in a long time, like a book for that purpose. Like I'm always reading rule books and settings and, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you, man, I have, um, of all the people I know who devour books, the one person who stands out and above the rest is Kev Thulu. Oh, man, that guy eats that them man, up. That yeah. man will devour more books in like a week than I can usually get done in a year type of thing. It's yeah, insane. I, very I used I used to be a crazy avid reader, like crank out a book in a day. Like, boom, grab one, go. My buddy Lenny suggested this one by Christopher Golden, wrote a bones. He's like, Brett, you're going to love that. I'm like, oh, that's a short one. I could probably read that in a day. I thought, who the fuck am I kidding? I, I don't have time or I'm not making time. Right. You know, one of the other things. So, but anyhow, I think there's, um, back to the sword and sorcery thing. I, I really think that if Matt, or anytime you're doing a genre thing like that, that you want to emulate that session zero and however you want to call decorum on each other and however you want to make sure that you're maintaining the tone as best possible, that's really going to help. Yeah. Absolutely help. For sure. Thanks, so Matt, we'll, for writing in, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Matt. All right. Another one. Forrest comments. Forrest the Gary comments on Duet Gaming. One of my favorite short campaigns was a one-on-one -on -one I ran for a good friend where we played a half-orc fighter assassin and therefore a loner. He was legitimately terrified when I sent seven dwarves after him. Yes, those seven dwarves except they were incompetent and bent on finding him. Much of the role-playing action was him negotiating with others to try to thwart the dwarves' efforts and pick them off one by one. I'll never forget that little campaign. It lasted a few months of play, two sessions at least a week. One of the things that Forrest calls out there that I think is really interesting, and I believe we hinted at it, but when you're talking about two people, it can be a little bit easier to coordinate. Because <laughs> there's just yeah. two of you. You know, <laughs> if Sean and I said, hey, let's, I'd like to run on Avalon, Streets of Avalon game. Sean, you in? He's like, oh, who's playing? Just you. We're going to do this. Huh. You know, there's stuff you can get done over IM. There's shit you can get done during text, you know, depending how in-depth each session needs to or wants to be. But because uh, what, what I got, I love the part, what Forrest is talking about there sounds like fun. But when he's talking about lasted a few months, two sessions, at least a week, I'm like, man, I couldn't get my group. Oh, wait, it's one person. Yeah, I could probably make time to talk to one other person every week. A couple times, probably. <laughs> you know, that's totally doable. Nice. That's yeah. good stuff, Forrest. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, Forrest. Anything else? I think we're no, good. that's it. All right, let's roll on. Let's get into the main topic.
What are we talking about this week, Brett? Well, Mirko, Digital Hobbit, he, he bugged us about this a little bit ago, about all the starter sets, quick starts coming out. Uh, he said, I wonder if this could be a good podcast episode topic, actually, where whether it's worth buying the starter sets versus the core books, supplements, or what makes for a good, bad starter kit, etc. And Sean and I were, have been knocking this one around for a little bit. And we're like, look, this is a really, this is a good one to throw in kind of at the tail end of, uh, of the show here. And I think I I started thinking about this more when I told Sean, when Sean and I talked about off off the air, my first thought was, why? Why would Brett buy that? Because I'm just going to go buy the core book, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to invest in a, in a starter set and so on. And Sean started talking to me a little bit more about it. I'm like, wait a minute, you know. I actually did do a starter set not that long ago. Actually, twice I did that. I looked for the free stuff on Simbarum. I looked for the free stuff on Vason um, that Free League put out. And I checked different things and I researched it that way. And then I realized, you know, from my perspective, when I'm looking at a starter set, and this is um, because I'm an experienced gamer with many years of reading rule books and so on and so forth, I'm looking for very specific things in a game. Like, hey, does Vason capture this piece? How does Simbroom um, deal with with tone and, uh, you know, uh, characters rolling on the dice and so forth? And I found that usually in their free stuff is where I, I'm like, oh, yeah, it answers that question. Oh, yeah, because that's a piece they're highlighting. When um, 5th edition came out, and Sean was talking it up to me, I'm like, oh, geez, oh, gosh, I don't know. And he's like, look, man, the, the core rules are like free online. I'm like, huh, really? So you go out there and there's the the core component of it. Now, it doesn't have everything in it. It's a limited scope of what's free. But that was actually pretty good. I read through that after talking to people, looking at that, reading it over. Hey, this does sound like a good idea. So I have found that that is more, that's more Brett style, right? Where I want to look at those components and parts. Um, And I can usually find out what I want to know there and then i decide if i'm going to buy the core book what i usually don't do is buy the core book and then like a raft of splat books or everything else that goes with it um but i don't personally go out and say "Ooh, that game looks interesting drop 20 30 bucks whatever it is for the starter set and play that um at least i i haven't for a very very long time and you know sean i think one of the reasons is that, ooh, strike that. I'm going to have to go back and, and back out what I just said. I think the reason I'm not buying them, though, is because most of the starter sets I look at, I'm like, oh, I see a D&D starter set in the store. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Hope that hope that's good. Hope that gets somebody started in the hobby. Good for them. But I don't need that. <laughs> yeah, rah. You know, I personally don't need it, but I hope it's a good one. Um, I just realized that um, Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition had that little starter soft cover. And I used that and ran to run in the adventure in the software. I used that entire thing, make characters and run it with my kids at one point. So I absolutely did use that, which I have not done in a very long time. I completely forgot about that. But the reason I did was I got it for free. <laughs> it's how much you bastard when it comes to starter sets. So, Sean, do you, do you buy starter sets? Dude. <laughs> yeah, I buy starter sets, Brett. Why? Cause I'm a gamer. That's what you do. Oh, I see. I uh, I don't buy a ton of them. I I bought. I can tell you which ones I've bought. Mm-hmm. Hit me. D and D. 
starter set D&D Essentials. The first one, starter set with the Blossom Mine, that's a good adventure. A lot of people have touted that as a decent kickoff adventure, pre-gens, get it running. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest could be, you know, the rules weren't that great. I have the Star Wars Fantasy Flight games. I think I have all three starter sets. Age of Rebellion, Edge of the Empire, and Force of Destiny. And then I have Cyberpunk Red, Jumpstart. Okay. And I think I think that might be all that so, I've bought. What, were any of those bought ahead of... How do I say this? Were you so for D and D? Were you gonna buy? Did you buy the core books before you bought the starter set, or vice versa? I did vice versa. I don't think. Well, no, that's not true. Cyberpunk Red, I bought first before Cyberpunk Red Core was out because it was the only thing that was like, out. out. Yes, but for D and D, you already had the core books, didn't you? Before you bought the starter set, those are also the exception. I had the core books before I bought the starter. So what the set. hell did you buy the starter set for? That's the question, right? That is I'm the not, question. I, that is about. And I've given, I'm not telling you that it's a terrible idea. I'm just wondering what you bought it for. Did you have? Were you doing because the, the adventure was supposed to be good? So I bought Cyberpunk Red Jump Jumpstart because the core book wasn't out. So I wanted to yep. get a taste. If you of wanted that. to play Cyberpunk Red, get a taste of it. That's what you had to do. Absolutely. Yeah. The other ones I wanted because I thought they would have I one the adventures like the scenarios that they provide. I thought there might be interesting. Um, they. Did not come with GM screens. Um, I think just the scenarios. The the starter set for Age of Rebellion came in handy, and I think I might have even downloaded them off the internet, the pre-gens. The booklets are very interesting because they really show you how to, okay, here's how many experience points you start with. Allocate them to these blocks. Because you are this archetype. Okay. And then once you were done with the scenario and you got XP awarded by the game master, you would flip the page and it would be time to level up. And then it would say, okay, now allocate. You could allocate to these parts, which was kind of a cool walkthrough, though I never used them for that. I did use the pregens for con games. I was just going to say, one of the things I, um, you know, as I said, at the, at the beginning, you know, as usual, like, hey, you have an opinion, right? And then you start thinking about it. You start talking about it. And sometimes that changes. One of the things you said there that that captured me was like, okay, so if it's got a really good adventure in it, especially if it's a starting adventure, Minds of Fendelver is more of a starting campaign, right? Sure. But even still has plenty of adventure pieces and parts. If nothing else, if you wanted a, hey, I I, I want to run this game and I want to, this is, and I said this about Simbroom and even Vison. Where I'm like, I'm going to run the Simbrum the first time. I'm going to use the adventure in the back. The starting adventure out of the core book. Because I want to make sure I'm quote-unquote doing it right. Or I'm catching all the right tones. I'm using the rules properly. A well-written starter adventure highlights all those pieces and parts. And that's one of the things I think was nice about Lost Minds of Fandelver. Um, for my son, when he decided to run it, was it hit on the different components like this type of skill check, this type of fight, this type of thing, this type of thing, right? So it kind of ran through that. So I could see definitely 
from even in the experienced game master, you know, looking at it saying, well, wait a minute, here's, here's a, a specific adventure that's written so that I can figure this out. And I found that to be very much the case with the haunted house in uh, the seventh edition called Cthulhu. I've run that before with fifth edition. So it's very familiar with the adventure itself, but um, it, one of the reasons I like that adventure is because uh, it has so many different parts of using the character sheet, using all the pieces and investigating stuff and finding clues and tracking things down. It's not ham fisted, but it's more obvious than some of the other um, Call of Cthulhu adventures that I've read. Right. It, it's the, yeah. the directions to go are left, right or center. It doesn't. Ha- it doesn't feel like the myriad of where do you want to go. It's not massive of Nethotep. It's not horror on the Orient Express. Like fuck, do we go to Belize, Egypt, or Rome? You know, it, you could go any <laughs> some of the places. You literally go anywhere on the globe. But in that one is it's much more linear, but it's well done, and it, it's a really good encapsulated one session type of event. You can play that Call of Cthulhu adventure in one evening, which is great. Because if you don't even know if you're going to like the damn thing, or if you like it and your players may not, well, this starter adventure should be pretty quick. So I think that's, um, to tag on one of the things that Mirko had, had mentioned, is that from me, what makes a good box set? What makes a good starter set? Um, I think a solid intro adventure that highlights the main components of the rules. If your rule has, you know, if, if your rule set has crazy chases with, you know... <clears throat> cliffhanger blah 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 you know if it's supposed to, if the chase mechanic is a big thing well they goddamn better have a good decent chase in it where you it helps you go through the chase mechanic so you can learn it and use it with your friends as you're figuring this out i think that's a key to a good starter set is um and that's why sometimes the the free stuff when i'm going out and i was getting the free play rules by simbroom it doesn't have an adventure in it really it's just like hey here's kind of how this works um but uh, I think from a starter set perspective, that's a that's a good piece. And I love what you're talking about that they did with the uh, Star Wars stuff is that this is how I make a character. It's 90% made. Right. Plug in some pieces. And now in, in you know, experience points, 90% done. Here, do the other piece. You get the feel for it. You understand it better. And how the numbers, how when I'm putting the squares, you know, when I'm putting the checks in the square or whatever it is, what the impact of that is. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, the... Other thing, and Angela mentioned this in the chat room uh, as we were kind of talking, was that I think in a starter set, if there is something in it that is of value that you would get out of it, even outside the adventure and the rules or something along those lines, that you might not be able to get anywhere else. For example, well, and you can get somewhere else, but then maybe the cost of it is half the price of the starter kit. So why not just double up the money, but get more out of it. So for example, the the dice that comes with the Fantasy Flight game, Star Wars, they're not cheap and oh, they're, they're proprietary. Not. Yep. So it's not like, you know, your D8, D7, D, you know, or D8, D10, D12, whatever. They're, they got weird symbols on them and you got to buy them or you can get the app. Well, if you buy a starter kit for, I don't know, if, I think the, the Star Wars ones are at a premium because you're paying for the Lucasfilm rights and license. yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're always going to be expensive, even the books. But if, say, if they're a $30 starter set and the dice are typically 15 well, you get a set of dice in the box, then you get a starter adventure and some pre-gens that are, you know, 
nice glossy paper yep. or you get a map like one of i think a couple of them have maps like one has a cantina map so you could always reuse that whether you run the adventure that's in the box or not so i think it's some of those things that come into play like oh tales from the loop, loop starter set or alien starter set great you know i don't know if i need that if i've got the core book but oh wait a minute it's got you know this cool map of the universe that's the a huge table you know three by four foot map or something like that where yeah you could probably get it online maybe but it's not offered in any other product and it's in the book it's in the core book but it's you know in an eight and a half eleven yeah Yeah. not in that format right the other thing that i think makes a good starter set are the pre-gens because whenever i've seen pre-gens in the starter set the ones i have seen anyway tend to be um geared and curated to make to have the best possible experience going in like anybody can play the character strangely weirdly play it like roger rabbit or play it more serious whatever it is you're doing but these characters are not one-off quote-unquote odd things right they're not edge cases they're not like ninja pirate dinosaurs right they're you know (laughs) this is like hey in dnd you need to have these things this is boom 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 in Star Wars, this fits this type of adventure. It's scum and villainy. Here you go. This is Edge of the Empire. Here you go. And it sets it helps to set a tone and show you the types of things that can be done. And even and then in that in that spirit from uh, pre-gen characters, the other thing for us as GMs is like a good set of pre-gen characters. If you run con games, that shit's gold, man. A good set of pre-gen characters is awesome. I mean, I I've gotten to a point now where if I'm going to run an Avalon game and I'm like, hey, do you guys want pre-gen? Sure. I have a raft of them <laughs> that I've built over the years that I save and I print out or I send in PDF form or whatever. But it, it, if you could get some pre-made that fit the adventure, that's awesome. Um, the other thing I liked about the, um, um, the, the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu one, when I read it, when I read that one, and I think this is just an improvement on how they're writing overall in games. Vasa and I talked about how, how awesome it was to read and so forth. And I think people are getting better and better at it. But I have found that the tone of a starter set from uh, do I have to memorize all this stuff? Do I need to know all these things? It hits the big points. That's another component I like. Um, so the And one of the reasons I like that even as an experienced game master is because if I'm going to tell somebody about this new game system, I don't accidentally talk about this weird ass edge case. If you happen to be swimming while wearing, you know, a flak vest, I, nobody cares about that rule right now. They want to understand how to shoot something. They want to understand how to dodge. They want to understand how to push a roll, how to make my rerolls or whatever those, the core mechanics. And it really focuses on those core mechanics, how they're used. And because the starter set is, smaller usually right than your larger core book it's pretty damn easy to find flip through 20 pages 30 pages is faster sometimes and where the hell are the short rest rules in my php right yeah I, that's I why find. i like gm screens it even gets even yeah. more condensed <laughs> yeah exactly it just it just blows that stuff it just crushes it down you know yeah. gets gets through some of the uh the extra bits and i think that makes for a good starter set as well a well if it's well written with the i have one i have an old one uh lord of the rings 
it was uh, Iron Crown Enterprises put it out ages ago. It was kind of a like a Middle Earth role playing basic kind of approach. It was a simplified version of it. It was interesting, but when you read it, it um it, it's neat, but I don't like the condescending childish tone mm. that they took when they wrote it. That's how it struck me anyway. Well, you, if you ignore those pieces and parts, the rest of it seems to make sense. And I think a good one is not written like you're talking to a toddler. <laughs> right? right. You know, if you pick this, if you pick this starter set up, great. I'm glad you're here. Let me tell you how cool this is. Let's get right to it. Here's an example. Here's this an example. And those examples are key. I, I, again, in there, because if, if I'm going to run this thing and like, okay, so here's how you make an attack. Neat. Okay, that sounds good. Show me an example of these funky dice and how an attack actually happens against five stormtroopers and two guys in a droid. How does that work? If you don't have that in an ex a very specific examples for each mechanic that you're talking about, you need that illustrative point because that helps people drive that. That really helps, I think. I think that's important. Yeah, the um, you also get like tokens. Maybe pogs, whatever. It's another thing people might like paper cutouts. One of the things I heard was, and I have never bought it. I heard it stands out on its own is the Pathfinder Paizo starter set. At least the original Pathfinder, Pathfinder Two. I think there was one, but I don't. I don't. I imagine it's similar in its approach. But I think when I heard about, I think I I heard a podcast or somebody talking about how they put that together and it was, Hey, we're, it was like getting ice cream people to come in, like the tasters, like off the yeah. street here, we need you to test this. And they were, Hey, have you ever played an RPG before? No. Great. Ex awesome. Have you, have you played? Yeah. 10 years. Great. Come in, you know? And it was like across the board, nice, lots of different audiences to see if what they put in the books uh, that they provided in the starter set, like, did it make sense? And I think with starter sets specifically, you know, here's the thing, Brett. I think there's a lot of core books out there that just assume that you and I are the ones that are buying them. And yeah. they could stand to take some lessons from their starter sets. It's a very good point. Yeah. Like I said at the top, I'm like, my first gut is, eh, I don't necessarily need it because I'll invest in the core, blah, blah, blah. Right. However, however, man, I think you're right. And the other cool thing with a game like a, a Paizo game, or I should say Path, like Pathfinder, not a Paizo game. That sounds right. like, like it's just them. But Pathfinder is an on-the-grid type of game. You can play Pathfinder Theater of the Mind. I know I've done it. It's difficult. It takes a lot of work because five-foot squares matter. Movement and so on and so forth. You know, D&D 3035. <laughs> Yeah. Whatever. It, it's tough to do that kind yeah. of game without a grid. It's tough to do anything yeah. if it's not designed for it, Brett. Yeah, I know. What? Whatever. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> go on. I, go ahead, man. I I'm a wrong. dad of five kids. I barely designed to do that. It's hard. <laughs> it's fucking hard. I know exactly what you're talking about. But it's usually it's the usability pieces oh, that well, I think what, I, miss. what I'm talking yeah, about is yeah. is in that box set. If they like, hey, look, here's some pogs. Like, here's some cardboard standouts. That was actually a thing in the original. Um, well, in that Lord of the Rings box and my original Middle Earth role playing game box set, 
when you got the box set, it had stand-ups in it hmm. for the adventure in the back. So, oh, you had trolls and orcs and you had little cardboard, fold them, stick them in a little plastic foot so they could walk around. They always fell over because the map was bent or whatever, but you got that. And shit, I think actually in the back of my original Star Frontiers box set, they had some of that. And that's a piece where the box sets became, I think one of the reasons starter sets tend to come in boxes, especially for that, because you can put more goodies in it, right? Then you can get a box, put in the dice, you can put in the the cardboard cutouts, you can put in some whatever, whatever it is you need. And I think that is an interesting... You could put the crayon in it. You could put the crayon in it, you could color the damn dice, which you had to do from your red box. Yeah. but I, I like I like that notion. So from a good starter set perspective, if I were to pick up, my friends are telling me about this Pathfinder game. I think this sounds interesting. And I pick up that starter set going, eh, is this a place for me to start? Is it really, I'm an experienced gamer. Should I just go buy that? God, that's an $80 rule book. Should I buy that? Should I buy the rule book or should I just pick this up? And if I flip that box over and it shows me included dice, eh, well, I already got dice. Oh, wait a minute. Pogs, map, adventure, pre-gens uh, okay now you got my attention because that's a lot of stuff and i then i start looking at that saying if i give this to someone what could they what could they do with it as well because i do like to when uh, my son aj was getting into it some of his buddies were oh dnd's kind of neat i ran out and bought a handful of dnd box sets because they would all get dice from it they get the very basic rules if they enjoyed it enough they could then run out and do something with it Right. A couple of them did. And some of them like, oh, that's kind of neat. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Like, you know what? It was worth whatever. I can't remember. I'm on sale somewhere, but it was worth at the time made for a really good. I felt comfortable giving this to someone who was interested because it had all the right stuff in it that they could actually play the game effectively. Right. Yeah. I don't think this, the (laughs) D&D starter set was there, but. No, it wasn't. It's not as good as Essentials, from what I've heard, and that's it is, and, it that's, is and that's and that's a shame, quite yeah. frankly. You know, but it's also cheaper. Like I've that's bought, true. I think the starter set as cheap as eight or nine bucks when Amazon has their special, and I've bought, you know, like ten of those, and then I de- I I donate them to Toys for Tots during the holiday. But it's not so you know okay, and then I think the even the next starter set that they're coming out with is even going to be more. Costs more, but I, I forgot what's going to be in there. Probably going to be a little bit more robust. So every so, iteration is going to be better, I imagine. I think it's it's the value component, right? So when I look at it and the cost goes up, I'm like, oh, geez, then I might as well just buy the core book. Well, hang on a second. We're talking D&D. Yeah. It's, that's a $150 investment. Or you might find the books on sale, but it's three $50 hardcovers. Sure. Right? Even though they should be worth more because we're dumb. But anyway. That's another topic I hit on. This past weekend is yeah, right. is because seriously, man, we were ta- I talked about uh, side tangent. I talked about like textbooks, like your kids' textbooks. Oh, you and I talked about this before, man. It's great, not on the show, but we've talked about it offline from here. It's fucking crazy, man. I can buy those books on the shelf behind me, all my AD and D first edition books. I'm still playing those and still getting joy out of those. I paid fifteen dollars for one of them, right? Right. Are you fucking kidding me? That's but, that's a fifty dollar <laughs> book today. It, the it should be, you know, when you see this huge freaking tome land on your desk, Dungeon Crawl Classics, that's, that's, that's an $80 book. He doesn't, he doesn't charge enough for it. Well, not only that, but I think it does, uh, there is more to it than just the price. <clears throat> there really well, there's a ton. is there's a, ton. a ton of it. Like it's, 
the the value overall in RPGs. It's how much you pay writers and creators and illustrators and oh, yeah. artists and publishers and designers. Like it's a whole huge level that people just are, are missing. Are, I think people are they're, missing they're, it. Yeah. <clears throat> they're missing it. They're missing it or they don't ever want to understand it. <laughs> That's quite possible too. You know, I no no no. It's it's kind of like, hey, I like my Nike shoes because you know they're, or I like my tennis shoes because they're not expensive because they're made in China or India. Yeah, or no, something. I get you. I get if they it. were made stateside, cost more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. So it's like, yeah, I prefer to be willfully ignorant of certain things. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But what I'm talking about here, to hook it back before we yes. go way the hell off, yeah, from, bring a it back, starter, bring it back. from a good starter set, the value prop for me is, let's just, again, to the Pathfinder piece or the Star Wars piece. Star Wars requires funky dice. If I got a box set with no funky dice, then I'm like, what the fuck am I buying this for? No. Right? I want to get I want to get everything I need to play this game is my preference, right? It's kind of the... In, in a way, if you will, it's like the board game equivalent, right? If you bought Monopoly and it came with everything, but the but the, you know, community chess cards, you'd be like, why, why, what? <laughs> you know, it was the board, two pieces, one d six, and like three hotels. You'd be like, what? Why? Why? Well, you got to buy the rest of it if you really want to play it. You know, it doesn't make sense. I want to be able to play the game and have fun with it. And I think that um, Paizo's idea of have the pogs, have the pre-gens, have the stuff. I think that's solid. That's very, very solid. And the other piece is that the way the way I like a good starter set written is like the way the guys, um, uh, the, the folks, I should say, uh, who did Vason write. Hmm. As plain English as you That'd can. That'd be free league publishing, and that should be a part of your yeah. vocabulary from here on out, Brett. Sorry about that. <laughs> But I want, signed, I want it signed sh- free league publishing shill. <laughs> shill Sean. Nice. But I want it to be very simple. You know, I, you should be able to go through it and say, these are the core mechanics. Again, state what they are plainly example. Next one, plainly stated example. And um, I, th- I think that's, that's big because if the starter set reads like stereo instructions, that's a son of a bitch. Nobody wants to deal with that. Yeah. If the starter set is basically a short version of the core books, that's where I don't mind looking at the free version of Simbarum that was out there or the free version of D&D 5e because I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'll parse through this. I didn't pay for it, so that's okay. If I got to read through something, it's not necessarily exactly the tone or the writing style or the examples I would want. That's all right. You know, I, I got it for free and that's fine. But in a starter set, when I'm paying for it, part of my value prop there is I want it easy, easy, easy to digest. I think that's, I think that's important because then if I, for myself, if I run it, I play it, I have a good time. And one of my friends says, Ooh, that looks kind of cool. I can lend it to them that they can bust through the book and say, Oh yeah, cool. I see how that rule works. It's right there. You know, I shouldn't have to fish, you know, fish through a huge tome to find it. We should also stipulate that there is a difference between quick start rules and starter sets. Although absolutely some, some starter sets may contain quick start rules. So yeah. That's, you know, cause you can get the call of Cthulhu quick start rules out there. 
Well, that's what I, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. That's the, that's that paperback yeah. I used. But you don't have to buy the starter set to get them. Correct. What's yeah. interesting with the starter set to me, I don't know. So this is I like what you're, where you're going here with the rules. Quick start versus so. If I'm going to use the starter set as a one and done, I picked it up, I ran the starter adventure, and I used the pogs, and I used my dice, I read through the rules. Huh. Neat. Is that <laughs> all it's for? Yeah. Is it a one and done? Or, and that's where the Lost Minds of Fendover had a little more meat to it. Sure. That's a campaign. That's not a one session. That's multiple sessions to get through that adventure. Right. Yeah. The downside is, of course, it's multiple sessions to get through an adventure. What if nobody likes it? Right. So there is a weird balancing act that these companies have to figure out is like, is this a one and done? And that's where the quick start rules for Call of Cthulhu, I thought were really well done. I'm, I called it a starter set, but it's really quick start where it doesn't. It, I, I just got the book. I didn't get my 2D10 with it. I didn't get anything. Right. There's links in, hey, go copy a character sheet, go out here. I had to do some work, right, to print character sheets. Happen to have my own dice, obviously, blah, blah, blah. Um, that one being a one-and-done adventure, you ran the haunted house. You're probably not going to keep running the same haunted house with your friends over and over again because that's dumb, right. right? The haunted house had seeds for other types of adventures. Like, ooh, this could lead to, it tells you that when you read the adventure, ooh, this could lead to, ooh, this could poke over here. But that quick start rule doesn't tell me or help me guide me how to build the Call of Cthulhu campaign. How do I build a through line? How do I put this together? And so on and so forth. It doesn't give me more to work with. I don't know other than the thing in that, the creature and that thing that you're dealing with and those magic things. I don't know anything about the ghouls, the Shrugoth, the moon beasts, the Shaggy, the Shan. I don't know any of that stuff because it's not in the quick start book. It's so, not even in the core. Some of it. Some well, of it is, no. I mean, they came out with a Cthulhu monster manual, essentially. Yeah. So, you know. But I don't know. To me, a good starter set. I mean, if I were, would have both. It would have a quick adventure, get you started. If you like that, here's the rest of the short campaign, right? Four sessions, five sessions. But I, I think they're supposed to be like a can of soda. When you're done, you're done. There's not much else you can do for it except recycle it <laughs> or put it on the shelf yeah. because then you're supposed to go out and buy the thing. Right. That's where the, for my money, the red box approach, the back me stuff, the basic expert companion masters, um, immortals, all that. The That was neat where you got the red box you got your dice, your crayon, had a solo adventure for you, walked you through the rules, levels one through three, just enough monsters to get you going. You could play that that box set for a while. And eventually, you tap out, like, hey, we're all level three. We'd like to be level four, please. You know, Did it have a we... dungeon generator in it? Um, I don't recall. I that think one. it had I the don't... keys to the map. or be, It had the keys to the map, and it talked yeah. about how to build dungeons. It had right. some It had some advice in there. So you could build some You could build some stuff. And right. you could go out and buy adventures for it. Oh, there's level. There's modules back in the day. You could go grab those. And then when you wanted to go on, if you were having fun, you could go get your expert set. And that would take you levels four through whatnot. So that was, that's to me, is an interesting approach. I don't think that would necessarily work today <laughs> right 
Right. Um, but it was like a, uh, it, it was just, it's an interesting way to do a starter set. And that's a piece to me, I guess, that because that was the first D&D thing I've ever bought was my red box. And I read that it, the influence on me was, Ooh, that's a really good starter set. And it's something to get me going, had a bit of, had a, you know, some adventure in it, explained the rules to me. I had my dice, I had my, my, you know, my DMs guide, the, you know, thin paper, paperbacks, my player's handbook. That's really cool. Very easy to track through, at least for me it was. And then had enough that I could build and do some things. And when I'm like, yeah, I have outgrown this, man. I'm ready. I'm ready for what's next. I'm, you know, let's, let's move on. Grab the com- expert set. And like, ooh, overland travel. Ooh, some ooh, higher level stuff. Ooh, more spells. More, more, more. You could devour, devour, and add, add, add. So that's pretty interesting. I and um, but I I don't think anybody's doing that now. Uh, not, no one I know of, anyway. So I think the starter sets now are meant to be one and done. In most cases, maybe a small campaign, but after the Lost Minds of Fandelver, you're done. That campaign's over. Go get something else. And I think that um, other than having an entire game line, like they did for D and D, I don't and I don't think anybody's going to do that again. It just doesn't feel to be, it doesn't feel to me to be the way the hobby rolls now. Mm. Um, matter of fact, I don't know any other, somebody out there is going to correct me and I don't know who else did it, who else took that Beck Me approach or the Moldova approach or whatever, you know, the, the BX setup where it was, there's a basic expert, tick, 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 tick. I don't know anybody else who did that. I mean, Star Frontiers had, you had Star Frontiers. They eventually added Zebulon's guys a splat book, and the Nighthawks was for like you know spaceship combat stuff, but it wasn't like an expert version. Although, then again, in Star Frontier's box set originally, it had a basic rule book, a very slimmed down, tighter version, that had the full rule book. So when you bought that box set, you actually had the kind of quick to play one, rules a little thinner, flimsier, and then the heavier duty full core book, but. Did you did you ever you played? I know you've played Beck Me, but was that anything you ever got into, man? From like a starter perspective, like Red Box and work your way up or anything like that? No, I think I just got Red Box and stopped. That was it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't get the whole the whole rainbow. Gotcha. Yeah. But I think the um <clears throat> one of the reasons that because it's one and done, to go back to my original kind of concept of why I tend not to pick them up and I look for the quick start guides, which I'm glad you came to the, you, you helped me redefine that because I should have done that at the beginning. The reason I don't look at some of the starter sets is because I have the gear, right? The quick start rules for a pathfinder. And they said, Hey, you need a grid. Got a grid. You need some minis. Got minis. Need dice bucket. Right. Okay, cool. You need paper and friends. Got it. <laughs> I'm rolling. Um, but if you were really new to it, new to it, I could see it. Or if it was so nuanced or so specialized, like the Star Wars dice, there's something about that being, this is a unique thing that this game system requires. And it's different enough to me, it would be, so <laughs> Alien makes it sound like it's this crazy thing, but such a different concept, right? The funky dice, <clears throat> I could see you going, huh, you know what? I'm going to risk it. I'm going to buy the starter box. Yeah, I might like this enough to go buy the core, but I'm going to buy me a starter box just to see if I really do like it. 
because it'll give me something to play, something to read through, to try. And I do have everything I need to start with. So, all right, yeah, yeah, let's do that. But knowing it's a one and done, I'm going to play this. It'll sit on the shelf, never to be used again. And I'll move on. Yeah. Anything else, man? No, dude. I'd be interested to know if any what what people have bought for starter sets and if they've been good or bad and why. I'm also interested if it's a good or bad because you actually played it versus you just mm. read it. So, and the reason I say that, not that, not that just written, that sounds overly derogatory and like inflammatory. Um, did you actually play it to see how good it was? Um, my example, I read the Simbroom Quick Start stuff. I did not play it. I read it, went, okay, that hooked me. I'm going to go buy me some books. The seventh edition Call of Cthulhu one, I did not buy seventh edition of Call of Cthulhu until I played the Quick Start Guide. Went, okay, no, I like this. This is cool. Done. I'll go buy it. Right. It did it did it did its job on me. <laughs> it made me go spend more money on a rule book. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what other people have to say about it, man. Sweet. Shall we? Let's get into die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and geekery we wanna share with you. Got a couple this week. First one is the trailhead. Trailhead from Discord. The 150 toothless skulls in Mexico. Why is that way off? Um, crime scene cave. Our ancient sacrifice victims. There you go. Little plot for you. I mean that's a that's a Delta Green Call of Cthulhu game just waiting to happen right there. Yes, hundred two thousand twelve. A citizen alert brought the Mexican police to, to a cave on the Guatemalan border where a horrific cave sacrifice scene met their eyes. Some one hundred and fifty skulls and other human skeletal remains lay piled up in the cave in the municipality of Frontera Camalapa in southern Chipa State. Jeepers. There you go. Fun. Huh. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that to our attention, Trailhead. Darn it. And then the last one I mentioned at the top of the order, gmmastermind.com. There you go. Well, the other thing I wanted to make sure I pumped out there was the AMA, Ask Us Anything. Yes. Um, That's the show finale. That's episode 384. That'll be June 27th. So I think Sean and I were talking the other day. I think we've got over about a hundred so far. Sean's going through and um, we're not cutting anything, but we're looking at it saying, okay, this question is a lot like this question. Let's see what we can combine because we want to answer as much and everything as we can. So we need more. My wife said she sent some in. Did you get some from my She wife? did. I saw <clears> it. <throat> yeah. All right. She said something like, how have you put up with my husband for so <laughs> long? Without losing your mind. mind. <laughs> That's a damn good question. It's a damn good question. I actually think she might have actually asked that question, honestly. I would I I wouldn't I wouldn't but have asked her to ask that question. And I would uh, the answer would be, how do you know I haven't lost my mind? That's right. <laughs> That's the yeah. answer to that question. This is the result, Susan. <laughs> this is the result. Uh yeah, go to gamingandbs.com forward slash AMA and you could submit more than one question and we'll go through those on the last episode. Uh, and I'm thinking, Brett, we should, we should field stuff from the chat. 
Like we Absolutely, should yeah. just. No Brett doesn't to. tune into the chat because if there was, he'd be like, "I would totally zone out." That's the problem. <laughs> Sean would be like, "Brett, Brett, hey, you dumb fucker." I, I'm reading the chat. Sorry, I'm reading the chat, Sean. Reading chat. This is awesome. He's like, get out but of the fucking chat. I think for the last episode, I mean, I think it would behoove folks to to show up in person oh, if yeah. they can. If they, yeah, can, if, they can obviously. Make, if they can make it, I think that'd be great. We and we can we can interact with the chat the whole episode, you know, for the most part. And yeah, uh, we'll still record it and put it out for audio, but it'll definitely be the uh, the interactive piece that I think will be beneficial. So, yeah. Uh, so after this episode, three more. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about in the next one, Brett? Do, well, next you, one's May 30th, so I've got some time to think about this one. You do. Yes. So for those that did show up live in two weeks, we are not recording because Brett will be off hunting Paddington in yes. Canada. Actually, it's it's Winnie the Pooh, that pantsless Winnie bastard. Winnie the Pooh, yes. That pantsless bastard. Yes. I'm going to yeah. take him down. Yeah. He's a perv. Um, <laughs> Who, me? Me or, me or Winnie? Which one are you talking about? What's going on? Not you. Winnie <laughs> okay, the Pooh, man. You right. you roll around with pants on, Brad. He does I, I, I usually do. Yeah. I usually do. Anyway. Um, Good guy. But it'll be pushed back to to another week. So Brett's got some extra time. Yep. Um, we'll put it out there, whatever it is. I know one, we want to do a, a self-reflection, mm-hmm. whether we're going to combine that with Brett and I, I, I would, I don't know, or we're going to do it separately. Who knows? I can't so, imagine I can come up with that many things I've learned over seven years to take up an hour. I, I can because I don't stop talking. We know this is we've learned this for well, seven years. True. Hey, Brett, this is your episode. You get to say whatever the hell you want. Oh man, just uh, that's not hit, good. Hit record and that's I'll be right back. I gotta go make dinner. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> Text right. me if you need a soundbite. <laughs> so we'll have to figure out what we're gonna do. My damn All dog right. came down here and distracted me. All right, yeah, man. I, I think we're good. I think we are good. So yeah, well, tune in, tune in three weeks from now, right? Three weeks. Yep, May thirtieth, twenty twenty-two. Yeah, and uh, for the next episode, we'll put it out there on what it is once we figure out, so people can be aware of it. That's all I think I have to say. I'm Sean, and I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS produced with help from the following BSers. Joe Swick, Old School DM, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Eric Jefferson, Andy Hall, Chris Steele, Remy Billado. Jason Hobbs, Mark DeSaka, Merkel Froelich, Pure Mongrel, Brett Pazinski, Brandon Barnes, Eileen Barnes, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Victor Wyatt, Craig Huber, Roger Braslett, Stefan Dragonspawn, Jared Rasher, Finolf, Ray Otis, Jim Fitzpatrick, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Old Scouser, it's Old Scouser, damn it, Ron Blessing, Curtis Takahashi, Larry Hout, Ron Bishop, Mark Richmond, Chad Gleeman, Craig, Howard Bishop, Corey Welch, Angus, Eric Salzweedle, George Sedgwick, Robert Nemeth, Brian Kurtz, Laramie Wall, Eric Avia, Jeff Seifert, John Keyword, Corey Gonzalez, Niall Diamond, Aaron Relia, Jeff Goad, Aaron Coleman, Rich Wishon, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Melissa Bashinsky, H.N. Colcago, Eric Tavola, Hus Carl, Yorkus Rex, Ghost GM, Mike Kess Jr., Rory Weston, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Phil McClory, Adam Grochon, Jay Plata, Ed Nyes, The Duke in Purple, Isaiah Aries Christian, Larry Hollis, Craig Shipman, Todd Sharp, Orcus, Dorcas, Chris Shorb, 
Michael O'Holland, Wayne Peacock, Mike Coleman, Kevin Keneally, Zagrave, Vornak, Farty McButterpants, Andrew Lear, Craig Chunglo, Eric Lunsford, Ty Prunty, Feeling Good Lewis, Ziga Paradzik, John Mahoney, Crystal Eggstad, Zalea, Zwiefer, Hypnocode, Kelly Ness, Tim DeShane, and Jerry Garcia. Hey, thanks, BSers, for sticking with us through thick and thin and until the end. We really appreciate it. This, this has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio production. production.